Iconic makeup artist. Beauty industry revolutionary. Entrepreneur. Bobby Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown. Maria Hatsi Stefanis has done it all. She is the founder and CEO of Rodial and Nip and Fab, a multi-million dollar global beauty brand. She built her company from scratch without anyone's help, all while raising a family and keeping up with emergence of social media. In addition to running her privately owned businesses and being a best-selling author, she's also in-demand panelist speaker on the international fashion beauty business circuit. Here is my conversation with Maria. Did you ever act or model or anything? No. Well, you could have. You look no. a little a little bit like Michelle Pfeiffer or, mm. yeah, very pretty. Thank you. <laughs> first thing before we do anything else is help me with your last name. Okay, Maria is your first name and last name is Hatsin Stefanis. It, very close. Hatsi Stefanis. Very close. Hatsi Stefani. Okay. Yes. All right. Anyways, welcome. And you are originally from where? I was born in Greece. You were born in Greece and then you now live in London, correct? I now live in London, yes. So in a nutshell, when I went to uni, I took a job at Seventeen magazine and I did... Uh, so wait, your first job was at Seventeen magazine? My first job was at Seventeen magazine, yeah. Okay. Um, so I was doing this while I was studying. It was um, wow. a part-time job. And, uh, and what was your job at 17? What was your role? I was a freelance writer. Okay. And I was doing a lot of beauty interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I was researching about beauty. I got to try a lot of products. And that was my first interaction with beauty. And I got really excited about the world of beauty. But I wasn't ready to do anything, start my own business. I was very young. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I was I was dating my Greek boyfriend at the time, and, and he moved to New York to do an MBA. And I was madly in love. So I found a way to get my way over to New York. And we started dating. We're dating for a year. And then he moved over to New York. And I thought, you know what? I always had an interest in business. I had a business mind. And I didn't know where that would take me. But at that point, I thought, you know, it's a good step. I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. But I want to just go back one yeah. minute because yeah. you were, you grew up in Greece. Yes. And where did you go to university? Um, university of Athens. Okay. Yeah. And what did you study? I studied English literature. And what did your parents do growing up? Uh, They are teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in a remote island in Greece. Which island? It's called Mytilini. Mm -hmm. It's not very touristic. And... When I remember when I was 14 years old, we didn't even have beauty stores. It's a very remote island, and this is a long time ago. And I was 14 years old, and I was getting ready to go out with a girlfriend of mine. We didn't have a lot of beauty products at the time. We wanted a bit of color in our cheeks. We didn't have a blush. And I grabbed one of my mom's Nivea 
creams in, a, in that blue tin, the right. old fashioned Iconic. one, and a bit of lipstick, and I mixed them all together, and boom, um, I had the first ever cream blush. Uh-huh. That was fun. And I thought, hmm, yeah, beauty. So um, I was interested in beauty, but I was raised in a place that beauty just wasn't around me. There were no stores, there were no, there was no way to get to find out about the product. So it was really exciting for me when I uh, moved to Athens and started uni to be able to work in, in the glamorous beauty industry within a magazine. Okay. And then you came to New York, followed your love, your mm-hmm. boyfriend, mm-hmm. and you were in school in Columbia. What were you studying? It was an MBA. So it was all sorts of business right. subjects from accounting to marketing to finance. And then how did you get to write at 17? A lot of writers would like to be hired by the magazines, especially back then. Yeah. How so, did you get your foot in the door? Um, so when uh, when I moved to Athens, I wasn't really interested in studying English literature was, okay, that's a way for me to to go and get a degree, but I wasn't into it. I was always into being in a glamorous situation, a glamorous industry. And I was interested in writing, and I thought the world of magazines for me at that time was everything. You know, I would read magazines when I was in this remote island and think, oh my God, what a world. I want to be part of this world. And at that time, I even thought that maybe my career would be within magazines. So when I went to Athens, the first thing I did was I wrote letters to every single magazine that existed. And I started saying, this is what I can do for you. And I have some great ideas. At that time, the fashion was a lot about Dr. Martens and sort of skinheads and all that. And the magazines were a bit more conservative. So I just put down a bunch of ideas, what I can do for you, what I can bring on the table. And my my view on how to bring in the new consumer, the millennial at the time, Mm -hmm. which was, it was Jen. I don't know what gen that was. Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) So I wrote a lot of letters, and one day I get back home. We had answering machines at the time, and I get a message from Seventeen magazine, who were obviously interested in in my ideas, and they call me in, and they said, oh, you know, we love your ideas, and we know you love fashion, but we have something within beauty if you're interested. So um, I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I was studying during most of the days, And I would go have weekly meetings with the magazine. They would assign an article or two for me to go and research and then go back and submit it. It was all done on paper at the time. We didn't have email. Right, right. Very old times. And and you were still in school. So did you graduate from Columbia? You finished? Um, So that was 17 magazine was back in Greece. Okay. So Ah. I was doing English literature and I was uh, 17 magazine in Greece. That that was that. And then I moved to New York and studied for my MBA. I I didn't have a job here. I was just studying. Uh, There was enough. It wasn't easy. And then you graduated? I graduated, yes. And then did you work in corporate finance? Yes. So I graduated. And by that time, everyone from my class went in two directions. One was consulting and the other was banking. And there was nothing else. And I ended up going into banking just because everyone else was doing it. And I ended up getting a job with Salomon Brothers first in New York. I did my training and then moved with Salomon Brothers to London, where I've been living for the last 20 years. Okay. And how long did you stay there before you left? Or did you start your new cosmetics company while you were there? So I am in London. I've been working in uh, the bank for two years. And one day I get invited into the boardroom 
a bunch of very serious people around me and I knew this was coming and I got fired. Uh-huh. Best it, things happen when people get fired. Now we know that afterwards. Yeah. Not at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was devastated, but then at the same time it was a job that I wasn't passionate about. I was exhausted. I was working days, nights and weekends and at the end I lost my passion about it. So I knew that I wasn't upset that I lost the career of my dreams, but I was upset because I failed. Right. And for me, having studied something, putting all this work, and then getting fired one day, it was, I was a failure. My parents would be disappointed. How would they even tell my friends? It was a big embarrassing moment in my life because everyone thought very highly of me for, right. for even landing this job. Yeah, and that was the first thing that really shook me up. And it, it took me a while. I, I didn't decide the next day, oh, now I'm going to start my own beauty brand after I got fired. Right. It, it takes, it takes a while. Yeah, it's rough. Of taking it all in and, and just thinking, what do I want to do with my life? It was a very low, I reached rock bottom at that point. And then I just thought, you know, what is my passion? And over the next few months, I reconnected myself with beauty, which I've left back, back in the days of Seventeen magazine. And there was a time that a lot of beauty startups were happening. I was reading about uh, Marcia having started Bliss at the time. Do you know Marcia? And I think I met her once. She's, she's a very good friend of mine. She is a giving entrepreneurial she's amazing. friend. She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. So I was reading about her. She just started her spa and then the range and that was super inspiring. Um, and then uh, Janine Lobel started mm -hmm. Stila and a lot of websites at the time were opening up backed by um, women and that really inspired me. And I thought, you know what, I'm passionate about beauty. I do have some ideas of, um, of a gap in the market, which I'm going to go in in a minute. And I thought, that that could be a career for me that I could be passionate about and that could be my future. So that's how it all started, by being fired. So then what's the first thing you did? Did you even know a lab or where to get caps or anything? So one of the good things that I learned from my days um, within banking was to research an industry and find out what I needed to do in a very short amount of time because that was my job. Uh, we would present to different companies, different industries, and I would have to learn the industry. So uh, the first thing that I did was just um, find out um, about trade shows. Um, the first six months, I, I went to the various Cosmoprofs around the world. Uh, there were I've a, never been to one. Oh, I really, never, I really oh, no, must that's go. That's unbelievable. I must that, go, yes. I even thought that um, when you were at the Bobby Brown company that you must have had exhibitions. Oh, um, my exhibits. team went, your, your but team I was went, but busy. You never, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, you were doing yeah. more elevated things. Yeah. Like, Un unfortunately. <laughs> un actually, I am the person that would have loved the trade show. I would have found yeah. some weird little bottle or cap that no yeah. one else was looking at and said, why don't we turn this into a product? Yeah. So, which is how gel liner happened. I had the packaging first. So crazy. Yeah. yeah so good. Yeah. So a lot of trade shows. Um, I did Cosmoprof in Italy. There were a bunch of shows in Paris for startups. And um, I would go from stand to stand, talk to them, get mm -hmm. a bunch of business cards. And then back in London, I would arrange conference calls. Um, if they were based in the UK, I would go and meet with them and then put together all the resources. When it comes to the lab, what's interesting is, because that's the most important thing um, when you start with skincare, to find the lab that 
can make your ideas into reality, especially not coming from a um, cosmeceutical background myself. Right. So um, I found this lab. It's it's based in London, and we sat down in a little room because that lab was was tiny as well. Um, I shared my ideas of what I wanted the products to do and and the marketing angle of the products. And um, she's a French chemist and she immediately got it. Um, We bonded, she loved my ideas and and you need that energy with, especially at the beginning with whoever you work with, you need that positive energy to um, give you that sort of pat in the back, you're doing the right thing. If if a lab gets my ideas, then I'm onto something. Uh, We're actually still working together um, 18 plus years That's fantastic. later. Um, so finding the lab was very important. Um, now, the challenging thing that I had, and I'm sure you would appreciate this, is at the beginning, we weren't ordering high MOQs, right. uh, which meant that we could not have bespoke packaging and we have to mm. pick the packaging off the right. shelf mm-hmm. um, from the factory and then put a label on. So everything was really basic at the beginning. Which, by the way, is very popular now. It, it all is. the now new brands are all. It is. It's very it's trendy. It's very trendy. But at the time, it was. Yeah. Um, you wanted to look like Chanel. Yeah. Right. That was. <laughs> everybody wanted to look like Chanel. Why do you think the lipstick uh, packaging from Bobby Brown is black? I wanted to look like Chanel, and it was stock. Because mm. when I first yeah. started, I made ten lipsticks out of my house. So I do understand. Yeah. That. That's. Yeah. That's the challenge yeah. with with a startup um so and how many products did you make in the beginning um it was a small range of four products now the other thing that um i want to mention to you is that i tried to get financing for my business Mm -hmm. and um i thought i that would be easy for me because i was coming from a finance background so if there if there's one thing i can do is raise finance and i reached out to i had some friends that i knew or companies that i knew and um reached out to about 20. Um, I got roughly 10 emails back, five meetings, and zero investment. So it was a process. And at the end of it, it was very disappointing. It it wasn't just that um, I didn't get the investment to be able to start the business um, with a bit more, uh, with a few more resources to do it well. But it was also the feeling that this investor didn't believe in me. And at the beginning, every simple thing like that, it matters to your confidence. It matters how you feel about your business. And and so I didn't get the money. I um I was I was very disappointed and, and again it was another point that was like, Oh, I failed again. And my husband said to me, You know what, you you have this dream of having financing and do massive things, take it easy. You can start from a back room at home. We have like a little office and um, you can have I, the product I would have said there. the same thing to you, you would by have the said way. the same thing. Yeah. 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 I don't believe in, in getting investments, mm. especially to start. What does your husband do? Um, so we were both in finance. From day one, we he, he became a co-owner of the business. So we um, owned it together. And over the last five years, he moved on full time to the business. And he is now the CFO. And how does that work at home? How do you not bring your work home with you? It is... Um, it is very hard, um, especially at the beginning until we found the balance. Now there are days that we come back from work 
and I want to ask, ask him a question, like, how did that meeting go? And I know that even if I want a quick answer, this will turn into an hour's argument about work. Uh -huh. So I hold back mm -hmm. and I say, you know what? I'm dying to find out how that meeting went, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to wait for tomorrow. So it, it's not easy. And sometimes we'll, we'll get into a conversation. I will say, you know what? It's, it's the evening or the weekend. Let's just wait until Monday. And he would say, oh, what are you saying to me? Do I need to call your assistant and book a meeting? <laughs> I'm not saying that, yeah. but I'm saying, let's, this is our private time. Let's just not worry about work every single moment of our day. And Right. Um, I'm only laughing because yeah. now I work with my husband. I always worked with my husband, mm. but when I sold the company, he wasn't involved in the company part of it, just everything that I touch. Mm. And now we started a business together. And uh, it is challenging. It really is challenging, especially when I'm used to being the boss. Yeah. And I left one company because yeah. I wasn't the boss anymore. Now I'm not the boss again. But I kind of am the boss. But that's a whole other story. But how do, <laughs> how do you deal with it Well, now? we're married 30 years. How many years are you married? 20-ish. Um, 20-ish. Yeah. So, you know, how we deal with it is I'm getting better. You know, sometimes I'm usually the one that's talking about things at night and he says enough. But we try to not discuss it after 9 o'clock. Mm. So your first, when you launched. Yeah. Did you launch with how many products and where did you launch? Um, so we launched with uh, four products. None of them um, is available anymore. We've, uh, we've, we changed products pretty quickly and we moved into new um, categories. Uh, so but why are the first ones not available anymore? When we first started, um, it, we were focusing a lot on body care and the first four products were body related. Um, and then we moved into skincare with within a couple of years, and we decided not to focus in body as much. Mm -hmm. So um, the the first challenge, as you know, when you have your own beauty brand, is getting it into stores, and that has always been my biggest challenge in in the stores that I wanted and when I wanted. Um, the first store that we went into. Um, I mean, I was emailing everyone. I was going on LinkedIn and finding out and trying to get some email of the buyer of that store. I would email everyone. I did not have contacts in the industry, so I had to find all You're the You're a true entrepreneur, just figuring it out. from from scratch. Right. Um, so where did you launch? We launched at Phoenix Bond Street, which mm -hmm. is a it's a mm -hmm. tiny store. It's it's very traditional um, off Oxford Street. And I remember I went there and presented my products talk them into liking them or that. And they, they seemed very excited. Um, so in my mind, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, they're going to order hundreds of pieces and I'm going to get this big counter and I'm going to get so much money. I'm going to get an office now and hire a team. <laughs> um, and at the end of the meeting, they said, okay, well, uh, we're going to order six of um, everything of the four SKUs. We'll give you a little shelf and you have six months to sell or you're out of here. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, but you you rocked it, right? You you um, sold them. Sold them. Um, I was working Monday to Friday in the office, and then weekends I would go to the store, sell my products. I wasn't very good at it, and I was also very embarrassed um, to be selling my own products, so I wouldn't tell people that it's my company. I would just leave it like that, just presenting the products, talking about the ingredients and the story, but I didn't want to say that it was my company. So, but you have such enormous success you have right now like your your estimated almost a hundred million dollars 
I mean, ninety million dollars. People uh, say that. People say it, but whatever. It's a very successful company. So, from four products sitting on a shelf that you didn't want to push, what was the big breakthrough? Snake serum. Okay, snake serum. Snake serum coming from snakes. So, it's year five. Uh huh. Um, The company is doing okay. Just about what are we gonna do now? Are we gonna be in business? next week that was the situation um i get some samples from the lab uh one of the new products was going to be an anti-aging serum i go through the ingredients and one of them related to viper venom and i thought oh wow you know where did the lab even find this ingredient that that sounded crazy um so i say to my team why don't we name the product snake serum and they were like you're crazy gonna go out of business now now uh-huh. now this is yeah we're done um so anyway we we talked about it and thought you know what let's just take the risk and see what happens um we capitalized on the name made the product black went to a studio had snakes around it um and started giving out leaflets uh putting it on our website there wasn't social media at the time and um something magic happened people started getting interested we got an amazing story on daily mail at the time which was very influential uh, we started getting calls from all over the world, Germany, Japan. Um, we started sending out pallets of this product, quantities that I've never even seen in my life. Um, and that was the product that put Rodial on the map, Snake wow. Serum. Where did you even get the name Rodial? Rodial, um, and I'm sure you know it. I, I, I didn't want it to be anything related to my name. I wanted to be something neutral. Um, it's very hard when you want to start a beauty business and you want to trademark a name that's um, beauty related. As it could be scientific beauty or beauty and science. Or I mean, th- these are super stupid names, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm just coming up with some examples. They're not very stupid names. I think beauty and science sounds fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, not, okay. not as exciting. <laughs> right. But um, when um, so I got a trademark lawyer um, to advise me on this and find out what name we can use for the range. Most of the um, beauty-related names were taken by other brands. So I thought, you know what, let's just come up with a name that I I make up. Um, One of the ingredients we used at that time was uh, pomegranate allergic tannin, which is very, um, it's a very Greek ingredient. Um, It's a potent antioxidant. It has three times the potency of vitamin C and green tea, which were the big antioxidants of the time. Pomegranate in Greek is called Rodi. So I thought, let's just give it a French version and call mm-hmm. it Rodial. Uh-huh. Um, and so the lawyers looked into it, no one had it, and we trademarked Rodial. Your Instagram is Mrs. Ro- Mrs. Rodial, yes. I mean, imagine if it was Maria Hatzistefanis. No one <laughs> would find me, no one would be able to spell it. So And, and you have almost a million people on Instagram. You have a huge following. Do you do it yourself? Yeah, I I do it myself. I've been doing it myself for seven years now. We also have the company account. So we have Rodial Beauty. And how many followers on that? Um, that's about 150K. Mm-hmm. And your personal one is is almost is 975 or something, almost a million. It's um, it started um, my account started in a very organic way, and it, it if you if you check it out, there is actually not enough product in it. My team is like put more product, uh, but it was always um, my my personal way of communicating with um, 
with anyone who's interested in communicating with me, basically talking about my passions. Um, fashion is a big passion of mine, so I talk about that a lot. Anything behind the scenes about the brand. Uh, but I also spend a lot of time every day. I probably spend a couple of hours liking, commenting, interacting. And it, it just it's a great um, outlet for me to be creative outside and it's a community my work. builder. It's it's a community, but it it's always it was always a an organic way for me to connect with um, with a very exciting audience. And I'm getting inspired every day. I follow a lot of accounts. I don't follow a lot of beauty accounts. I, I follow a lot of other accounts that inspire me because you can get too much right. within beauty if you're following every single makeup artist and beauty blogger and all that. It's, it can be too much. So this is my creative outlet outside beauty in a way. And do you sell on your social channels? Any social selling? Um, Yes. So with with Rodial, um, every few other posts, we do have the mechanism that you can actually buy um, and you can also swipe up on stories. So since Instagram has come up with those tools, we are selling, but I, I don't sell on my channel, just on the... And I read that Kylie Jenner is uh, aligned with your brand before she launched her own. Yes. How did so that come about? We have another brand. Um, so that seven years into having Rodial, I was... Um, uh, noticing a lot of high street designer collaborations in the fashion world where I get a lot of my inspiration. Uh, there was Gap and Stella McCartney. There was Karl Lagerfeld and H&M. And I was really interested in the idea of bringing some of the DNA of a luxury brand into the mass market. Um, and so originally, um, Nip and Fab was created as a spin-off to Rodial, uh, targeting um, a younger audience and, and a very different distribution channel with uh, drugstores and more mass distribution outlets. Um, so that's how it started. And then going into um, Kylie. So over the years with both brands, we've been working with a lot of makeup artists. And um, there was one makeup artist that we've been working with for a while that had uh, a bunch of our glycolic pads from Nip and Fab. He used them at a shoot. Kylie um, took them, she liked them, and she posted them on Instagram. This was before wow. the day that you were posting on Instagram for money. Um, and she was about 16 years old. She was very young. She she was still, yeah, she, she didn't have any campaigns yet. She was very fresh. And the minute she posted that, we got a lot of um, interest and emails and excitement and people asking about the brand. Um, and we connected on Instagram. I DM'd her. Um, she responded. Um, we started the connection. We spoke to her mom. And six months later, she was in London shooting the first Nip and Fab campaign, which was that is crazy. crazy. That is a crazy story. Crazy. Yeah. I can't believe that all through Instagram. Right. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And you've worked with a, a bunch of other influencers too, haven't you? Over the years, we've worked with a number of, of celebrities that like our products. We haven't done any other um, faces off mm -hmm. or official campaigns, right. but um, as you know, celebrities as everyone else, they like to use effective products. So we've been very fortunate to have a lot of beautiful women and men use our products. And you also were on Project Runway Startup. Is that in the UK? That was, um, it was a spin-off of the Project Runway right. show. In America or the, or? It was in, in America. In America. Um, and that was an exciting show, actually. It, you know Shark Tank, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
one of our yeah one of my favorite shows. Mine I don't too. know if you like it. Yeah. Um, and what the Project Runway team wanted to do was to do a version of Shark Tank. Um, but focusing on fashion and beauty and the creative industries. Right. It was a smaller production, and I was a guest mentor on the first episode, and oh. that, was, that was really fun. And who else was on that episode? Um, so Rebecca Minkoff was right. um, on okay. the panel. Um, um, three, three other investors were there. Um, I do not recall their names, but I know Rebecca. Yeah. So they were the investors. I was a guest mentor for that episode. And um, besides running two brands and doing all you do, and I know that you're a, a regular speaker and in industry events, you have children. Yes. And uh, how many? I have two boys. They're uh, 13 and 15. I have three boys. I know. It is, I know. Uh, it is quite something to be able to have done both. And so I, I know how difficult it is and how good it is. What, what do they think about your success? Um, they're both very um, sporty boys, mm -hmm. so they have no interest whatsoever. Sounds like my story, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'm really excited about is um, when you show boys that their mom and, and a woman can be successful and can have their own business and follow their dreams, I think this is a great message that we can give to the new generation of men. And that would affect how everything would evolve in terms of men and women equality at work. So I think it's a it's a great message. I don't think they they look at it as deep as I do. Right. No, um, I'm sure they don't. I, I'm just their mom, and right. you know. But they and they that. watch their dad, I'm sure, and they watch you guys interact. So yeah. you know, my kids are all very entrepreneurial, and I didn't know that growing up that they would become that. So it is pretty mm. interesting. So now your new book. Your when did your book launch? Um, we launched in the U.S. in February. Okay, and you are—it's a best-selling book. It's the was the number one book on Amazon F for a number of weeks. I yeah. mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's really unbelievable. It was shipped to me just yesterday. I—I I tried so hard to stay up to read it. It's exactly the size of the book I love, and I—I I, I was really, really excited about all the advice that you give people. Talk a little bit about it. Right. So. Um... Over the years, I've been getting a lot of questions, um, whether it's on Instagram or um, when I speak to conferences of people asking, where do you get your motivation? What inspires you? What are your tips for success? And after so many years of doing this um, business and running this business, I thought that I had to uh, share my story and give a positive message um, to the young generation of entrepreneurs. And a lot of people ask me about the title. Why did I call it How to Be an Overnight Success? Um, the title is obviously ironic. It took me 18 years to be where I am today, and there's still more, more that I want to achieve. Um, but I do feel that there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that very quickly they get discouraged. They read about overnight success stories out there, and they give up too easily. And the message of the book is that anyone can be successful. Um, if you put the hard work in it, if you um, are passionate, but you cannot give up. It's, it's a long road to success. Um, but you can make it happen. So it's, it's a positive message. Well, you've done so much, and, and I know you have so much more to do. What, what else that you haven't done? You have a podcast. Yeah. So what else haven't you done that you think, wow, that would be interesting? Well, the the book and the and the podcast, which is called Overnight Success, and I should have you there as well. We need to organize that. The These are my personal 
passion projects that um, I've started and they have nothing to do with the business. So I'm not, I haven't written a book or doing a podcast to sell product. It's, it's my passion to share what I know, bring the people on board that I've interacted with and, and make sure that I have a positive message to share with everyone out there who wants to start their own business or be inspired in any way business or otherwise. Um, but when it comes to the business, I have a lot that I still want to achieve. Um, with both brands, we've launched cosmetics. Um, Rodial um, Cosmetics is four years old and it was almost like starting a new brand and there's still a lot that we need to do to uh, take it to where I want it to be. Nip and Fab, we launched cosmetics a year ago and for both our brands, this is a new category. So it's... Um, learning every day. Well, it's fascinating and you are fascinating. And since you are um, the number one selling book, I'm going to ask you if you could tell people listening, what is the one thing they could do to make a change in their life? What is just one thing mm. coming from Maria? Well, this is something that I try to implement myself because I find that I always tend to doing the same thing and, and stick to my routines. Um, and what I say is try to do something different every day. If you always go right, turn left. If you always execute your work in the same way, try changing something. Speak to a new person, make a new contact, go to a different coffee shop. I don't know what it is that you need to do, but shaking things up, even in a small way, can result into many changes because if if we keep on doing the exact same thing we'll keep on getting the same result so just try something new and also listening to your story what i really love about your story is is definitely the success but also all the bumps in the road you've had you you know it wasn't just an overnight success and you didn't just walk away and cry and go home under your pillow you just kept at it and kept doing it and is that like a common theme in your life that when something happens there where it's not, you know, effortless to just go up, you just keep pushing through it? Um, I usually have a gut feeling with those things. And especially at the beginning, I could see where this could go. I couldn't see the, the success or the level of growth in any way, but I could see in my eyes. I had the vision. And even if people around me couldn't, I didn't believe in me. I, I kept low and I kept on going. Um, but it's it just keeping keeping your vision and, and being focused. And then the other thing is when things don't go your way, always have a plan B. Because I think sometimes we get upset or we get disappointed if our plan A doesn't go as expected. But then we shouldn't give up. We should try to find a different way to achieve our goal. So always have a plan B. And do you have any hopes of selling your company or do you want to remain um, controlled? As long as I still go to the office and I am excited to be working in my business, um, happy with my team, as long as I'm able to pay people's salaries, um, then we will be private. So let's see. And one more thing, where could people find you? So at Mrs. Rodial on Instagram, and then I have links on everything else that they can be interested in. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talk to me. Thanks. It was me. really amazing. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That was Mrs. Rodial. I honestly cannot believe that she booked Kylie Jenner off a DM on Instagram 
to be the face of one of her companies. That's it for this episode of Long Story Short. Follow me online at Just Bobby Brown. If there's someone you want on the show, let me know there. If you really like the podcast, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really like the show, send me a few bucks. I promise to send it to charity. And that's a wrap for Long Story Short. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown, a Gallery Media Group production.